You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, let me start by asking you this question. When you come into contact with something that for you is just transcendent, it just kind of takes your breath away, you're, it's cool, you're interested, what is your response? Let me share with you some of the responses I've had over the years that I, I was one that I know like many w- became pretty enamored with Lance Armstrong's uh, conquering cancer, hopping on the bike and winning the Tour de France. So much so that I wanted to get on the bike myself, start cycling and, and do triathlons. It, it, was, it was a moment with the transcendent. Little did I or any of us, any else know that, you know, the dude was juicing at the time, but that's kind of beside the point, okay? There was something that was transcendent about that performance. Maybe it's as simple as going over to somebody's house or going to a restaurant and you get served a meal that leaves you going, how does, how does somebody do that with, with food? How does, how does somebody even think that up? You know, artichoke hearts are a good idea. How do I do that? Uh, it, there, there are those things that it then sparks a curiosity, doesn't it? Where you, you find yourself just going, how do I do that? On the, in the case of the bike, I wanted to go and do it. And in the case of that great meal, I just get curious. How can I do it? That's, that's the response I have. Uh, the other thing that, can, that feels transcendent to me is when I see somebody that does basically does amazing home improvement projects with their own hands, okay? I'm, I'm one that if I hit the nail with, if I hit the head of the nail with the hammer, I'm, I'm standing up doing a touchdown dance, okay? So to, to do home improvement projects is not my thing. In fact, the thing that I'm probably most proud of that I've ever made with my hands, I made in seventh grade, and I made it in Miss Lisenberry's home economics class. This dashing Seattle Seahawks apron, complete with thermometer pocket. Thank you, thank you. Old school logo. You know, this, uh, this apron was in exile a, a bit last year, uh, or until last year when it was, it was as if Judge Smales was asking for Billy Baru during the postseason when I said, this calls for getting out the apron, okay? <laughs> to lead us in the postseason. And uh, so, hey, I can tell you that though this thing is imperfect, I had to use a seam ripper many times on it. it see, I know what a seam ripper is, okay? <laughs> that it, it's something I'm proud of. It works, it looks good. Old school Seahawks logos, how can you go wrong? Okay, what, what we do, uh, I, I'm one that, is aware of my limitations in being able to do home improvement projects, so I get a little bit jealous. I have to stick with aprons. Uh, But what is the response that you have when you come into contact with that thing that says, wow, that might just take your breath away, that, that leaves you maybe feeling inspired or maybe it leaves you feeling overwhelmed? What's your response? Well, as a community, we are, this fall, we're exploring discipleship for the purpose of being inspired to follow Jesus with our entire lives. And to do that, we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, these words that have been said by our brothers and sisters in Christ since the second century, 
And today we continue our look at the first line of the creed that says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator, maker of heaven and earth. Now, as we look at this phrase, I want to start in a place that might seem a little bit surprising. It might seem a bit counterintuitive, but let's start by looking at the text that we have for today. And it's actually in Exodus 20. It's the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. And what I think these commandments do is shape our response to that which is transcendent. Okay, I'll explain more in a second, but let's remember what these first four commandments say. This is on page 58 in the Black Bibles that are in front of you. Hear these words from Exodus 20, beginning at the first verse. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. And remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. The first four commandments guide us in our response to God. If the next six commandments that we would read guide us in our response to our neighbor, if we're to sum up the law in love of God and love of neighbor, these first four commandments direct our vertical relationship, our relationship uh, with, with God. Now, in so doing, they show us a bit of what it means to worship. A response to God, an appropriate response to God, to that which is transcendent, is to worship. These commandments, in part, begin to make us aware of God, to make us aware to not make other gods, and to receive God's steadfast love, and to receive the good gifts that God wants to give us. Uh, Fuller Professor Ray Anderson said that in order to understand the story of creation, we have to start here, following the Exodus and at the giving of the law. Why would he suggest that? Because it makes a lot of sense to me. Here's why he would suggest it, is that uh, as many of you know this story, that this, this incredible story of the Exodus, which apparently I hear is going to be made into a movie uh, that looks pretty cool. I saw a trailer of it. And it's going to be something you want to watch, where the, the, the people of Israel, the Israelites, are led out of, of oppression and slavery in Egypt and in spectacular fashion. They walk across dry ground in the Red Sea to their freedom. Well, what does that communicate to God's people in that moment? It communicates that God is with them, that God has redeemed and freed them. In that, in that story, a story that's significant to our Jewish brothers and sisters, very much so to this day, God earned what we might call some street cred. 
it said that this God was present and at work in the lives of people in real ways, in, in ways that mattered, that God was present. Well, if, if on the other side of the Exodus, they've been led to freedom, there's a sense of, wow, that was amazing. There's probably a little bit more curiosity to interact with this transcendent God. Well, it is now that we can go back and look at the story of creation, this story that the writers of the creed would say, would affirm the God, the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. Well, again, to remind you of this fantastic story of creation from Genesis 1, I'll, uh, I'll just paraphrase it for you, that the, the world was formless and void. It was chaos. And what did God do? God spoke spoke order into the chaos, spoke into existence day and night, heaven and earth and sea, sun, moon, and stars, creatures for land, air, and sea. All these things that God creates it, and what does he say it is? He says it's good. He follows that up in Genesis 1.27. We're saying, let us create man in our image, male and female, God created them. You know what God said about that? It's very good. It's very good. That's the epic of creation that after the Exodus makes more sense to us now. That's the God who spoke this whole thing into being and he didn't just speak it into existence and then leave. The deliverance reminds us that God was still present in that moment well after speaking it all into being. And so the writers of the creed give us this line. This creed that I said as one who grew up in the church many times, and I would always say this line like this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Well, in preparing for, for this morning, I, I found myself saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You see that this, this word almighty, this adjective modifies, the, it modifies it in both directions. That when we think about this word almighty as creator in heaven and earth, it's important that we keep that together. Why? Because what this word means is all ruling. It suggests that God is, is still present and at work and powerful and ruling in everything. Now, this was in direct contrast to uh, the Gnosticism of the second century, which would suggest that all things spiritual are really, really good and all things material are really, really bad. That God created some good things and God created some bad things. And what the early Christians decided to help all of us out with is to say, no, what we believe is that God is at work and rules over and still rules over everything. That's why this is in the creed. Now, if that's true, if God rules over everything, what happens? It demands a response from those of us who live on this creation, who have in fact been created in God's image, who are God's good. In fact, he says a very good idea. And our response to this is to worship. Now, of course, worship is more than just gathering like this in a beautiful room with high ceilings and stained glass and, and singing uh, songs together. It's important that we do that. 
of course, as, as we are reminded, of course, of the character of God and, and the things that happen when we gather and worship. But worship is not something that can be confined or should be confined to merely what we do in here on a Sunday. In the words of Romans 12, worship is our, our lives as a living sacrifice to God. Every day of our lives, whether we feel like it or not, Often, and, and perhaps some of us do this, I know that in times of my life I've been tempted on a Sunday to evaluate my experience in this sanctuary based on did it make me feel something? Worship was successful if it made me feel better about myself or only if it inspired me. Where responding in a life of worship is a continual response to not based on how we feel about God, but it actually coaches us in our feelings toward God. Many of you are familiar with author Eugene Peterson, who notes this, that worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. What that does is it gives us permission to walk into this room not necessarily knowing how to worship, maybe not feeling it, understanding that what we do in our lives, in offering our lives as a living sacrifice is a process of developing those feelings for the God who loves us, who gives us grace, and who in fact created us. Almighty maker of heaven and earth. It demands a response. So what does it mean for us as those who follow Jesus? What does it mean for those of us seeking to live this life of worship? I want to offer up three, three things uh, as we uh, continue this morning. Three reminders. Perhaps there's some practices in these as well. First, a disciple remembers that they are created good. You are created good. Genesis 1 tells us this, right? That God created everything and says it's good. He gets to that which he created, that which God created in his own image and calls it very good. Yes, we have been damaged by evil. Yes, bad things have happened to our lives. But you are loved. I know that uh, in the world I minister in, our students are under a tremendous amount of pressure to perform to things like how many likes they get from a picture they posted on Facebook, how many views they get from a video posted on YouTube. We uh, can just read the news and scroll down and see all the comments that are critical of that which is being said on any blog or website. And I know that for me, there can be a sense of overwhelming self-critique that I know that is in large part shaped by the culture that we live in, that the voices in my head can often be uh, the most critical voices of me that I ever hear. And I know I'm not alone in this boat. There's a lot of us that the ways that we talk to ourselves are pretty harsh. A disciple comes back to Genesis 1, to knowing the almighty maker and creator and remembering that you have been created very good. 
You've been created very good. And in fact, you are loved by God. The most profound truth that we often get, get fired up to move past because we're looking for something more profound is simply that Jesus loves you. You were created in the image of God. You were created very good. And Jesus loves you. Hear that once again this, this morning and believe it. Jesus loves you. You are created good. Second, a disciple is created in the image of God in part to be like that image, that likeness, and thus to make, to create. You have something to give. You have something to offer. Maybe what you have to offer is an apron from a pattern. (laughs) Maybe you have a whole bunch more. No doubt you have something good to give. It's the way that you were created. Uh, There's a wonderful story uh, from urban monastic uh, Shane Claiborne, who many of you are probably familiar with. And he shares a story of serving in India in uh, these slums where the poverty is overwhelming and he's working with several dozen kids and on one evening, one of these children is celebrating their birthday. And towards the end of the party, uh, Shane has a little money left in his pocket and so he buys an ice cream cone to give to the birthday boy. And he pulls the boy aside uh, as this party's ramping down. And he says, hey, uh, happy birthday, man. I wanted to give you this ice cream cone. And he says, but don't tell anybody that I gave you this cone because I don't have enough money to buy everybody a cone. I just had enough money to buy you a cone. And not unlike the stories when Jesus, you know, does a healing and then says, don't tell anybody about what happened. That is the recipe, of course, for everybody going and telling the village exactly what happened. And in the same way, this little boy turns to all of his friends and says, hey, everybody, we've got ice cream. And the kids begin just running towards Shane and this, and this kid, much to Shane's horror knowing that he doesn't have enough money. Well, as these kids approach, the birthday boy says, all right, everybody, we've got ice cream. Get in line and everybody gets a lick. (laughs) Everybody gets a lick. And of course, the birthday boy goes last. And Shane observed the delight on these kids' faces and even the delight on the birthday boys. He got to share his ice cream cone with his friends. And Shane's reflection on that moment was simply this, that, that the best thing to do with the best things in life is to give them away. The best things to do with the best things in life is to give them away. If you are created in the image of God, and you are, it means that you have something to give away. I would argue it means that you have something really good, really great to give away. The life of a disciple is one that seeks to take the best things and give them away. Uh, Finally, a disciple needs to be aware that God is still present. God is still present. This is not a God that eats and runs, that dines and dashes, that does his thing and leaves. This is a God that stays present. We're talking about the creator of heaven and earth. The one who offers in the fourth commandment a day of rest 
an opportunity to stop and does so as a gift. I wonder if as disciples, to remember that God is here, that God is aware, that God is present, it simply means that we should go on a walk this time of year and see if those chestnuts that have fallen on 17th Avenue out of those trees speak to you of the mysteries of God. Notice the colors on those trees, on the leaves of those trees that have fallen. Perhaps they make you aware that God is still with us, that God made this, and it's something to be enjoyed. Did you know that what God made for us is a home? a place where we are provided for our every need, a place that I am convinced that God desires for us to enjoy as God's beloved children created good, very good in the image of that God. Well, I wanna close by stealing a page from the playbook of our beloved pastor emeritus Earl Palmer. And so I'll close with a poem. This poem is called A Summer Day by Mary Oliver, uh, written in the early 90s. And I I want to invite you to, to visualize this poem, to put yourself in this poem. Uh, Feel free to close your eyes, but I I invite you to enter in as, as I read this to you. A Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? The grasshopper, I mean the one who has flung herself out on the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? A Summer Day, Mary Oliver. It's a beautiful poem, really written as a prayer. And to me, the most compelling aspect of this poem, after giving us a whimsical account of an encounter with this grasshopper, is that question at the end, tell me, what do you plan to do with this one wild and precious life? The response of the disciple is to worship in wild and precious ways, to enjoy the goodness and provision that God has given to us, to discover the work of God in you, the things that you can create and make and then give away. To worship God by offering your life 
not just on Sundays, but every day as a living sacrifice to God, knowing that that God has promised to be with you, that that God has promised in Jesus, in his coming down, in his life, his death, and his resurrection, and his words, his promise at the end of the Great Commission to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Let us pray. God, thank you for making us yours. Thank you that you have given us a home, that you have given us gifts and talents. You have given us things to share. And so we ask that by your spirit that is at work within us, that you would guide us in our lives as we go forth from this place. You would give us courage to share the good things that you have given us, that you would, you would show us what it means to worship you every single day, every single moment with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.